Howdy, and welcome to the Overly Animated <laughs> Podcast, where we take animation seriously. We talk everything animation here, including Amphibia, which we'll be talking about today. I use Howdy because I pres- that's the kind of greeting you would get in Amphibia, so hi, yeah. Michelle, in advance for laughing at my intro. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing good, too. Howdy, y'all. <laughs> you know, I'm sad nobody said howdy, y'all in Wartwood yet. They totally should say that. I've, there's like a cowboy frog in there, isn't there? Like, he's the, Does he say howdy? I don't know. I don't know, but he has a perfect voice for it. But But yeah, we are here today to talk about Amphibia, a show that aired on Disney Channel way back in uh, in the summertime of 2019. Uh, no news on when a season two is coming, but in the meantime, me and Michelle have rewatched. Uh, I recently rewatched for the second time. Uh, Michelle, I believe you went through your third re- rewatch? Yeah, this is the third time. Still okay. going strong. Nice, nice. So we're here, to, given that it's fresh in our minds on a ran- random week in January, we decided to get together <laughs> and talk to you, the listener, as to why Amphibia might be an overlooked show on your part that you should be paying attention to. And we'll talk a bit about what exactly we like about it. Um, you can always uh, find other discussions that we do on Over the Animated along these lines at overtheanimated.com. You can find us on YouTube, on Spotify, and wherever you listen to your, to your podcasts if you want to hear more of us. But yeah, let's dive right into Amphibia. Um, there's definitely a lot that we can get into, but I think uh, using this angle of us having recently re- rewatched it, um, Michelle, I think the question where I want to start is on a rewatch, what about Amphibia, or, or I guess more along the lines, what specifically about Amphibia makes it something that you really wanted to rewatch? Oh man, I would say honestly, it's the the consistent humor and joy I got out of the entirety of the first season that made it a show I wanted to rewatch a lot of because it became a kind of ritual thing where after a long day of work, I come home and be like, oh, like I, I want to see something really nice and really funny with characters I've grown to love deeply, and Amphibia always would come to mind. In that department. And I think, you know, there are a lot of seasons, first seasons, that you can kind of tell they're, like, figuring themselves out. And then somewhere towards maybe the middle or back half of the season, they really hit their stride. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, this must be, like, what the show really wants to be. And now we're finally getting there. And Phoebe goes in just knowing what it is and being very consistently good at that. And remarkably just, like charming but like with really good adventure and like really interesting plot even though the plot's not like a huge part of the show yet um in a very well-established town with a lot of characters outside of the main like you know planters and Anne that are super interesting and get episodes to develop and flesh out and i think all that's just like really really smart because world building can mean a lot of things but i think the fact that they focus so specifically on this town um has done wonders for like getting you really invested on a personal level awesome awesome so yes some summarizing that would be humor world building and consistency Mm -hmm. like those those are are three words i got out of that and uh, I would very much agree with, with all of those situations. Uh, humor is interesting because I think um, the Disney shows, I mean, I'm going to compare this to, to DuckTales since like that's... That's fair. It's, a, it's a, a first season as well, which focuses on establishing family dynamics. I think that DuckTales does put a bit more of its eggs into story and the mm-hmm. jokes are a bit more scattershot. I, I, for some reason, I cl- I connect a lot more with the type of humor that Amphibia is doing. I think that yeah. there's something to the, um, like just as a, an example, like Hop Hop, I think is like one of the most comedic characters we get on this show. And oh, a lot, absolutely, a, a lot of he has a lot of one-liners, and a lot of them just have to do with you know like the 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 transience of life, you know, just like <laughs> like man, so I'm gonna relatable. die. Yeah, it it's, it feels a lot more relatable because of its uh, deadpan. So like it's not, uh, and, and at the same time, like there are also jokes going for more modern stuff. Like 
for for like one joke that sticks out in my head is uh, uh, in the, the the Disney marathon they do the little like five five second uh, teaser or whatever and they use the the guy who's like is it the party lit now as a fire goes on <laughs> the background and yes! and while if if I saw that like ten times during a marathon I'd be annoyed with it but so, the show works it around in a way where because this is an environment where nobody understands human slang or situations so like they, they sprinkle it in enough to like keep it funny even though like that they're you know the obvious jokes you'd go for when you are setting yourself in a world where nobody understands human things and i think they do it just enough to keep it funny while not going overboard with it you know so oh, i totally agree i feel like the humor also has like it's a nice mix of like there's very slapsticky moments of the humor there's very like situational humor characters of, with different personalities bouncing off each other. Like Anne and Hop Pop's dynamic comes to mind in that aspect a lot because Anne's always like, well, back where I'm from, we do things right, this right. way. Hop Pop's like, back in my day, we do things this way. But there's also a third like lovely blend of very like self-aware humor. And like I feel like that is also played very, very well in this show in particular because you have stuff with Sprig where like – when Hop Hop's going on the date, like, and, and like, Sprig feels really upset because Hop Hop's not, like, there to do fishing stuff with him. And he has, like, that reoccurring This Baby Frog is Sad song. <sighs> like, that is so aware of Sprig being, like, so much of a sweet boy that, like, it, it, it's so funny because it works so well because he's just singing it straight and really dramatically about himself being the baby frog who is sad. And that's, like, genius to me. Yeah, and and speaking of, of that moment, like that also reminds me. Another key part of the humor used in Amphibia is kind of like their faces and their timing. Yeah, like for uh-huh. him, Sprig in that moment, like he's like pulling up the ladder to let the lady drown, and he like pauses for a moment and like <laughs> stares at the camera. And then before, he's like, "This like, is too much." <laughs> yeah, right. You can tell like he's thinking about it, but then he just keeps going with it. And that's used often in this show, like just like moments of silence to sell a joke or. Uh, another example comes to mind, like Hop Hop in his bed, and it's just like uh, Anne sneaks out because she looks creepy, and he's like, "I'm in danger," <laughs> like basically, right? Yeah. <laughs> or the moment when Anne's like, I think it's the episode where like she reads through Bessie's like driver's manual, and she's like, "I read the whole thing in one night," and she starts like laughing hysterically and like bumps into the wall as she like leaves, and then you just like hold on Hop Hop in bed with like huge eyes, and he's like. I don't feel safe. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> like that, <laughs> that kind of timing is so amazingly funny, and it works so well. Yeah, that's, uh, I love that they de- they dedicate the time to that. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's racing to get to a joke per minute situation. But like, yeah, when, when they hit their jokes, they they take the time to let them land. You know, so I I, I really appreciate that that part of it as well. Um, it's related related to this is world building because I mean. This is a world of frogs, right? Yes. Well, the, the, so I, I think that a part of why this show is overlooked is, I, I honestly think it is that like that fir- the first couple of episodes, it's like, okay, frogs. These are frog people. Now, why, yeah. why are they frogs? Like, what benefit is this giving us? You you get like the the mo- the monster. I mean, the the weird creatures in those first couple of episodes. But other than that, like it's your kind of you know standard family dynamic situation. So like, what do you think as the at, now with a full seat with a full first season under our belt? What exactly would you praise about the world building that they do in this show? Well, I think the frog aspect, I think you're totally right, because when I first saw the concept of the show, I was also wondering, you know, why are they frogs, though? Like, of all the worlds you could visit that are out there, you go to the frog one? Why is that? And I think having seen it a few times, my take's a lot more like, yeah, at the end of the day, like... It doesn't matter a ton that they're frogs. It's more about their relationships and Anne's progression as a character and, like, the plot of, like, the magic surrounding the music box. The frog thing is because it's a cartoon and you could have so much fun Mm -hmm. turning things into frog things and amphibian things than in the real world, which is exactly why, like, stuff like Domino 2 turns out so hysterically funny. Because, like, yes, Domino 2... Like, does look like a cat, but it also has, like, 
an inchworm body. And when it walks, it kind of like expands and contracts and it has like a hunch in the middle. And like that is some hilarious stuff on its own. Just like the merging of the human world with the frog world and having things be like mostly the same, but kind of off. I think is a really wonderful balance that's rife for a lot of the comedy that we see. Like even Bessie, like Bessie's a like basically a car, but she also is so sweet, and you fall in love with her, and she makes really cute sounds, and she's a part of the Plantar family as much as any of them are. And I think like that's a lovely thing you don't see a lot. It's just but so good. A real car with personality, Bessie. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I agree with like the the mixing of of human and uh, and frog world stuff. Uh, another example of that that comes to mind is that episode where uh, Anne introduces them to uh, viewing a show on on the phone and it runs out. Yeah. And so in order to recharge it, they they decide, okay, well we need to go to, like the electric eel gorge <laughs> to fix this. It's like okay, and that adds like some kind of stakes to it because it's like he it has does. to sacrifice it's his life. To, to do it so like they, 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 they sprinkle that in um also uh that uh episode with the ground the um analog of amphibia to groundhog day oh yeah and it's like we're gonna cut open it and that's like oh no <laughs> Oh my god, when the puppet screams, it's just like, again, that's the kind of amazing comedic pacing that this show just like has every single episode that just sticks in your mind because it it feels like even though like you you know the show starts to have reputation for that humor, it, it genuinely catches you by surprise a lot of the times when a funny moment like that happens. And it just sticks with you. That's why the the no context amphibia account <laughs> on Twitter is so gem, like so many gems on that out of context because it's just got so many funny moments that stand on their own that definitely uh and, and also like w- w- related to like them being frogs i think that you also mentioned like they they make use of it uh, sporadically throughout like uh oftentimes we'll have tongue jokes you know because they're frogs and i, I think <laughs> that they, they they use them to d- decently appropriate <laughs> extent um the, the only like major joke i can think of right now involving that is like where uh, that they all like give high fives by sticking out their tongue and anna just has to like stretch out his her awkwardly tongue <laughs> Yeah, she like tries and it doesn't work. Yeah, so like getting used to the frogs using their bodies. Um, I, I will say, like as a small thing, I I do kind of wish they went they did more of the weird creatures. Like there there is definitely a lot of a, a decent amount of them, but I kind of wish like they'd go even further into the weird designs. So because like I, I recall like in the first uh, in the first couple of episodes, you had like the weird monsters, and those kind of don't show up as much in the. In the latter half of the season but definitely there's a big environment to work with here for sure and i think it's interesting because like a lot of the the bug monsters are pretty similar to things in the human world but they're just like much bigger and much more terrifying or you have weird kind of like you know there were like the cow thing the cow bugs that weren't cows but they were like obviously cows Mm-hmm. Or like the giant, the giant birds by the toad tower, um, or even like the, I think very early on the episode where like Sprig like accidentally leaves the lights on at night and these giant light bugs start like smacking against the house trying to get into the light. So I think that that makes me wonder a lot about like how is the human world connected to amphibia because like they are all just anthropomorphic frog people. They have a lot of the same technology. It's just like swampier and like more old school and like covered in this veneer of amphibianness. But like I feel like there has to be a connection there, especially with the music box tying the two worlds together. What do you think? Um, I definitely think that there is something to the theory of the music bots being kind of like a back and forth situation where it would allow also amphibians to enter the human world if we want to go down that route of, yeah. um, of, of looking into theories. Although I'll also say, like, I think that that's actually a good part of world building as well. We're like, it's still this foreign world, but there's enough for us as viewers to latch on to not be totally thrown off by it. Like, it's a very quick transition that we were able to do because it's, there's still like similar stuff going on and we don't go all out and i I think that 
like even if it's not related at all to like what ends up being the plot but i think it's a it's a good strategy nonetheless for uh, you know to uh, us to have all these analogs to human society just a bit frogged up for jokes Oh, totally. Like, the fact that there's a city mayor who is, like, corrupt, and Hop Pop gets to run for mayor and almost wins, but then he doesn't win. And the fact that, like, every there's, like, people who do woodworking and blacksmithing and have little pubs in town. Like, it's all, I mean, it's it's basically the human world, but with frogs, but I the, the differences help kind of sell it enough so that I feel like they write a good line where it's not too alien to kind of get invested, but it's just different enough to also be intriguing from an audience perspective. And I, again, I just really like that they focus so specifically on Wartwood. Um, they give you a little bit of Toe Tower stuff, but mostly first season is Wartwood. And I think that's really smart because we're following and like kind of getting used to being accepted by this community. And I feel like the show goes out of its way to have so many episodes touching on different characters and sometimes multiple episodes, which I think like is a really interesting priority for the first season of the show. But I think it's really smart because like we're becoming invested in the townsfolk as Anne is. And I think like that helps me want to come back to the world more. Well, and I think that that loops into the last part of the of consistency, right? Because the, yeah. the, this first season, like, if you if you want to be one of those people who's like, give me the episodes with just the plot in it, I think you'd so, end up, it'd be like three episodes, right? You'd end up with a list of maybe like five episodes tops of, of the season. But I think it's because of the fact that we are going all in on setting up the the family dynamic. Between Anne and the and Sprig and Hop Pop and Polly, as well as Anne integrating into Frog Society, and yeah. like each episode has like its own like contained moral and stuff, so it's not. And I think like that's another big piece of this as well is that there's right now we're kind of in a golden age of cartoons where a lo- we're having a lot more serialized stuff where it's yes. story connected throughout. But you know there there's still a place for the slice of life cartoons that are funny and charming and like you know Craig of the Creek another example of this, but Amphibia as well I think deserves a spot in like the high tier slice of life cartoons that are still thriving today even as we dive into a bunch more story-focused cartoons than we had just even five years ago. I totally agree. And again, I feel like if we hadn't spent so much time with Anne getting to know, you know, like Leopold Loggle and Wally and, you know, Sadie Croker, a personal fave, just a feisty, <laughs> oh, uh, you know, you wouldn't have the kind of, like, actual fear in the last couple episodes when they're going to the toad tower and there's the the threat of them against the toads and of hop up being fed to the like you don't just worry about hop up in the moment you worry about all the townspeople and you feel protective of them because you've spent so much time with them and they feel like real people you know like as, as real as they can in the context of the show they matter to you and you want them to be safe you wouldn't have those emotions if you'd focus so much on just plot stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think it is important what what they do with Anne as a character in this in this show to get you um, on her side and like uh, also, um, you know, being invested in her connection to the family. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, in, I'm interested, uh, Anne specifically, what what about her would you um, tout as the, like your favorite parts of, of her in this show? Oh man, I love Anne so much. She she is so authentically just like a teenager <laughs> and a teenage girl, and I think that's kind of like we're we're seeing a little more of that. I think more so with Disney than any other network for sure in the past couple of years. Um, I, I would love to see more in other networks, including Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. But I mean, I I love the way they handle her personality. I I love the fact that like, so she uses her phone a lot um, in the show. And you know, I think like when, when older generations think about like the thing they hate most about teenagers sometimes, like, ah, oh, they're always on their phones. Like you go out and do real things. But like her teenagerness is seen as a good thing in the dynamic with the planters a lot of the time. Like, they, she got him hooked on Suspicion Island. 
she like uses it to like like you were saying like to put on movies for the whole town and they get obsessed to the point where they like have a rivalry over like who they ship with the main character in the first movie they watch which is amazing and she like uses it to take a picture of a map at one point so they don't have to pay for the map when they're going on an adventure which i think is just hilarious and brilliant she uses it to look up like ingredients for recipes when she's showing them human cuisine so i love that the takeaway for this show seems to be that like it's never that being like young or modern is bad and those are actually strengths that Anne has as a character and the show really embraces that instead of deciding that like oh she's a teenager she doesn't know anything she should just listen to hop pop the whole time he's always right yeah the point about the phone is not something i'd considered but but you're right like it, it shows up a lot but at the same time they don't really make a focus of it like it's a it's a problem to be solved no yeah it's so, a it's a help more than anything most of the time they get a lot of mileage out of what Anne can do with her phone yeah yeah and I'd say also like a, another big piece of Anne is that because Sprig fulfills the the sweet boy role of like he, who he can do no wrong, Anne gets <laughs> to ha- gets to have more more of a role in terms of like figuring out herself, and uh, yes. that is also important for us to sympathize with her, like knowing, hey, look, like she is sweet, she's capable of doing very nice things, but also she's got to work through some stuff and she makes mistakes, like especially in the first half of the season, it's a lot of hop pop and parting. Like, lessons on Anne after <laughs> yes. Anne does stuff wrong that kind of fades off in the second half but like it's it's Anne like learning how to you know behave herself but at the same time like you know in emphasizing that she does have good traits too and so I think that it, stri- it strikes a nice balance to there and that's why once you get to like the mid-season finale and further on it makes you a lot more invested in like her showing this personal growth and being accepted by the town because we've seen like what she's done before that, you know? So uh, I, I definitely appreciate that part of Anne, especially that she's not a static character in this first season. She does uh, make a lot of moves while still staying true to herself, you know? I absolutely agree. I think um, Anne, Anne plus like Anne's like journey into like you know coming of age which seems to be pretty much the heart of what the show is that was the most difficult thing for me to pinpoint what attracted me to amphibia because it's not being super like in your face i would say about its treatment of Anne, but it's so good and like so important um i looked back a while um because I, I wanted to get a sense of like what the creator matt bradley like thought about his show and like i haven't found a lot of interviews with this guy so there wasn't a lot to go off of but he did tweet um i think back in the fall that like amphibia is essentially about Anne's journey and transformation from being a spoiled kid to self-actualized individual and i think that's incredibly interesting because I think the the one of the things that really sold me about Amphibia was that one Anne's accepted very quickly into the Plantars. Like initially, yeah, everyone in the town thinks she's a monster. They've never seen a human being before. They're all frog people, so she does seem very off-putting to them. But she connects with Sprig very quickly, and Hop Pop just like instantly adopts her and is like, "All right, I have another kid. That's fine." Like, I am the parent of all of these children, and they're going to make my life hard, but I also love them, and that's it. You're just, like, a bona fide planter now. And I really appreciate that they don't drag out, like, her feeling, you know, displaced or weird. Um, they just, like, they accept her so so quickly, and they continue to accept her even as she's trying to figure out how to pull her own weight and be a part of this family and not just like do selfish things because she can um and i think that's a really good part of her character but also Anne's progression in the story i find really interesting in terms of how amphibia has been handling it in particular because like sometimes i feel like shows when they have like a kid character sometimes especially when they're a girl they 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 want to say things about how you should like mature as a person, but it comes off a certain way and it's not always great. And one thing I really appreciate about Anne is that like Anne is changing. Like she, she you do see her take on more responsibility and like fight for these townspeople. 
at the end. But she, I wouldn't say her personality is what's changing. Like, she isn't becoming less funny or less of a teenager or less goofy or less flawed, but she is still becoming mature and, and she's not having to lose parts of her personality to take on that maturity. Um, what's changing for her, I feel like, is like her capacity to have like empathy and respect for the plantars in general and by extension the, the Wartwood townspeople is like the biggest thing that's becoming part of her self-actualization. Like, as she's getting to know all these people, she, like, is caring about them. She wants to help them. They have a growing sense of community with her. Like, they stop seeing her as a monster and outsider and seeing her more as, like, an actual hero. And I think, like, that experience for her is a big part of what is opening up this bigger part of herself that she's willing to like accept and take responsibility for her. And that is like so cool because she does ultimately become like a hero for them. And I think like that is what's turning her into a better version of herself. She's becoming self-actualized, but like she's not having to lose aspects of herself that still make her a teenage girl. Like she doesn't have to stop being all those things that make her realistic and interesting and relatable for the sake of like, being more mature, you know? Because I do think, like, there is a slippery slope. Um, again, especially sometimes with just, like, girl characters where there's this message of, like, oh, you're too much, right? Like, you, to be mature in the right way, like, you have to stop being, like, so nerdy or so passionate or so loud about this thing you love. And that's, like, honestly not really a sign of maturity so much as it is, like, adapting to fit a societal expectation of, like, who you should be, you know? So I think, and the thing about that is, like, you're actually being less of your real self doing that than, like, wherever you initially started from. Because, like, all these pressures are now imposed on you, telling you, you know, what kind of person you should be. I think especially... You know, when you're a teenager, especially, like, you know, when your body's changing, like, those pressures become a lot more prominent in your life. And those expectations tend to be really specific for people, and I think especially for girls. So to have, like, and I feel like I've told this to other people, like, Amphibia feels like the most gentle way I've seen a show handle this, like, idea of, like, coming of age because what's saying is that, like, coming of age doesn't have to be, like, losing all these aspects of yourself that are important and interesting and genuine for the sake of being, like, I don't know, like, a hardened, serious, mature person. And, and like, what it should be is being able to keep all those aspects of yourself that you already have and expanding on, like, the deeper parts of yourself that still have, like, some growing to do. Um, and I think, like, you know, like, your own empathy. Like, if Anne's thing is all about going from being selfish to self-actualized, I feel like what Amphibia is doing is just being like, look, Anne is great. She's going to keep being this person and true to herself. But also, her capacity for empathy is going to grow exponentially as she gets to know all these people and to become a, a sincere part of her life. And, like, just thinking about how Anne has reacted to Amphibia in relation to, say, Sasha, who hasn't really like changed her perspective at all. I think Sasha is so good at, you know, controlling everyone around her and being so good at being a leader in that particular way has also meant that she's kind of lost out on enjoying Amphibia for all the great qualities that it has. And that's exactly what Anne's done. Like she's even like, she has a line at one point where she's like, I can't believe I got excited about the thought of like eating a certain like bug meal. But like, yeah, she is so integrated now. She she feels like a, a real family member slash townsperson to that community. And Sasha doesn't have any of that. She does not really value like Amphibia or the people in it yet. And I feel like that's a really interesting contrast between the two of them. But I just like, again, I want to praise Amphibia so much for just, like, letting Anne embrace herself as a teenager, as a teen girl, for all of those aspects of her to be strengths, and for not feeling like they need to take that stuff away from her, or implying that it's a bad thing to be like that as a person for the sake of her growing up, you know? 
Very well put. And I, I echo that, that empathy seems to be like the main thing because uh, that's kind of her, her big change that she begins to care more about the people around her. Uh, personality wise, you're right. Like the episode one to the end of the season, like personality isn't really that different. The main thing is just that she's now more willing to take actions in favor of the other people around her. And that yeah. that's a really big deal and, and a lesson that some people, it's hard for them. And I think in particular, uh, an episode that stands out for me in terms of that is Toad Tax, which is one of, one of my favorite episodes. Because yeah! the, that, that kind of like, the previous to that episode, it, it is mostly focused on just uh, Anne within the family. And like you see the, the townspeople like being mean to her, but like it doesn't necessarily take much of a focus in the first half of that season. But because mm-hmm. you've seen it gradually over time, so when Totets comes around and you get like, Anne put in this position of like as saying out loud, like I can, I know they still don't respect me, and then making the decision because of her time with the family as well as and lessons she's learned there of like well look i should resp- i should help out the people who live around me because that's the right thing to do even if they don't respect yeah. me and so like seeing all that come together in that in that mid-season finale feels very fulfilling even though it's not necessarily a focus of the first half of that season it's more just like culmination of all the stuff within the family coming out to how she treats everyone else and then you get the rest of the season which is more which puts more focus on her relationship to the town and uh, you build on that but i think totats is a big turning point for for Anne's character and uh, and a very good place to tie in what had happened up until that that moment so that's when on top of just like the awesome fight sequence at the end of that episode but like <laughs> that was also really yeah, that was also good and i had a big piece of why totats is a great episode but i i think that in terms of the importance to Anne's character that 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 means a lot for sure um now with with Anne also just uh, briefly to mention uh, another big uh, big piece of amphibia is that it does give representation to uh, Asian representation in this case uh, uh, Anne is Thai you have an episode about her running the restaurant and like get, adding that extra layer to it and we also get flashbacks to her human family and I believe at one point the mommy mom even speaks Thai off screen so like yeah you know, she does you know just to get get uh, on top of everything also it's giving uh, lights to you know a, a, a type of person that doesn't get represented in these shows very often yeah. so it's mm-hmm. it, that's always a, a nice bonus there um so and very, very important piece of this uh mm-hmm. let's hear do i want to go to sasha immediately <laughs> you, you mentioned her. you can yeah, that could be a natural place to go for sure okay. so like alongside and uh, her whole deal and that's most of the season you have two particular episodes you have prison break and you have the season finale that gets into sasha who is uh, one of the other girls uh, that got sent here to amphibia um she's awesome she <laughs> yeah this is insane. like you're like oh yeah she's only been two episodes but like she makes such an impression like, in those two episodes it's amazing like, for prison break honestly has has a case for best episode of the season no, it really does. <laughs> the way she plays off of captain grime is just like mesmerizing to watch yeah and, and like to connect it into the discussion we had with Anne about like her you know getting better over the course of the season i think another big part is that it, it that this show kind of hints at the importance of family and like the people around you helping you to get to those places so like Anne lands in kind of the perfect situation where she like immediately finds a loving family she finds a town that's kind of averse but like gets around to her you know Uh, Sasha on the other hand immediately gets imprisoned and as a result (laughs) has to turn on the manipulation stuff to get to you know get into a, a more favorable position and because of that, when Sasha and Anne finally meet, they be, are in totally different directions. But I, I think that the show does that does enough to like say, well, look, the part of that is just like how they ended up here is totally different. So that kind of made things worse than they were already were, you know. I, I mean, I think it is certainly a big part of it is um, situational. Like, yeah, they just like ended up in different places and had to do what they could but also i feel like their personalities played a big part of that because sasha like has been established to be really good at kind of getting people to do what she wants um and to 
it is kind of manipulative, but like honestly, I don't see that as a super bad thing just because <laughs> Sasha's so great. Like I respect oh. her her cunning wit to use people to her own ends. Well, like wit, I think it's amazing. Wit is a good nice word for manipulation. Yeah. Cause like she she's yeah, again, like she's this teenager in prison, and then she goes to being like Grimes second in command, and like even when she's in prison, she's made friends with like literally all of the guards in Toad Tower. Like, that's how good she is at that. And she's so much better at, like, the people talking and the being friends, or at least, like, the impression of, like, the appearance of being friends in Captain Grime. And he, like, doesn't know what to do about that. He is so lost without her. And I feel like that's, like, also hilarious because he's, like, you know, he's all scarred. He's got that one eye. He's got this deep voice. And, like, Sasha's just, like doing circles around him it's amazing and she has not been there that long yeah and uh, grime is connected to this I-, I would like to tell the listeners that in the outline that michelle pro- provided oh she-, she wrote down first sexy voice so um but and i don't disagree with you <laughs> i mean it's so it's just like the combination of him being kind of awkward around sasha and his voice and the fact that he's like shorter than her because he's a toad and it's just like he respects her so yes. much, and I like, oh, that's some good stuff right there. I love it so much. And like, at the end, he, like, acknowledges, like, look, you give me a lot of advice, and I appreciate oh, it. So let me give you some advice. <laughs> but, like, he, he acknowledges, like, Sasha, she, a lot of this, a lot of times, like, this, the, the, character in power be like yeah yeah whatever like and like pretend to not have like gotten the advice but thought of it on so so it's it's refreshing to see someone like be like yeah like i did this because of you good job thank you like being appreciative even even if it is like ostensibly the antagonists of the series exactly. but like it feels good to see like kind of a okay relationship going on there yeah, acknowledging things is good. It's, it's good for their relationship. It will bring them closer together. And just like, uh I I love Sasha so much. It was so amazing to see her like in her armor and to just take control of everything. Because she's like, what, 13 too? This is amazing for her. She's second in command of a whole army. Yeah. But I like, I also think it's interesting that like, I guess, like, Sasha and Anne technically both go from being sort of on the bottom to being on the top in their respective communities, like, Wartward versus, like, the Toads. But I feel like Sasha missed the whole step of being in the middle where she felt like she's never been, like, a peer. She's always either been, like, below everyone or on top of everyone. I feel like Anne's gone on this much more progressional journey of, like, being at the bottom, fitting in with the community, being a peer, to, like, being more self-actualized because she cares about all them in an effort to protect them, and they really respect her for that, and that's what's given her... Like, she hasn't psychologically sneaked her way into her power. It it comes from, like, kind of doing the work and proving herself, um... In, in the terms of the hearts of the frog people, whereas I feel like Sasha proved herself in terms of just like, I'm you like me and I'm tough and intimidating, but also cool and you want to be my friend. And that's a very different kind of tactic, still very effective, but I feel like Sasha has missed out on the whole like bonding thing, frankly. And again, like the appreciation of amphibia and the toads and or frog people is like really not there for her. And I feel like that's part of why she contrasted so much with Anne when they finally met up again, because these are lifelong friends. But I feel like that was one of the biggest like issues of division between them at that point, that she just didn't care about the frog people. And Anne really super did. Because that's, like, her people now. Well, and that's interesting you bring up the point about them being lifelong friends. Because, like, especially in the first couple of episodes, another big thing with Anne is kind of uh, growing out of her habits uh, of being peer pressured and then applying that to other people. Because, like, we, we see, like, Anne kind of getting pressured around by Sasha in the flashbacks. And then, like, yeah. in the first couple of episodes, you see it. I mean, it still happens from time to time, but especially in the in the first couple of episodes, you see Anne kind of applying those same kind of tactics. 
politics to spring a lot of the time and eventually yeah. figuring out that that's not the right way to go about things. And so when we get to the finale fa- facing Sasha, she's like, I'm not going to be bullied around by you anymore. So it's interesting that even though it's like a, a, a friendship that's lasted for a while, but there's also acknowledgement of that harmful dynamic and that affecting Anne initially in terms of how she reacted to other people. I think that brings up a good point too, because in that moment, um, when Sasha's telling her to like step down and she's doing that kind of look thing, right? That she does in the flashback. That's like her, like no nonsense. Like you need to listen to me right now. I'm not playing with you face and doing it. She does start to back down and Sprig notices and he like takes in the situation. And then he immediately sticks up for Anne. And he's like, Anne's not going to do what you say. And, like, that vote of confidence from Spriggs stepping up for her is what gave her the push to follow through and step up for herself. And I feel like that is very interesting in terms of just Anne and Spriggs' whole relationship, I feel like, has been very genuine and very real. And, like, you know, they don't make good roommates. Sometimes, like, it's not perfect, but that is, like, part of why it feels so relatable. But the fact that this new friend has so much confidence in her and that helping her make a good decision on her own, I feel like is a part of this that is also really rewarding. Cause like, yeah, Sasha seems to honestly care about Anne, but their dynamic is not the best. And I, I think like the fact that it kind of is because of Sprig that she's able to kind of do it a different way and step up for herself is really interesting. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And and we'll definitely talk about Sprig. He he deserves a little bit of time, but oh God, I, I, yes. I, uh, just like while we're on the Sasha topic, I think this is also a good place to talk about that that season finale moment of like the Lean on Me starts kicking in and like hanging. <laughs> oh, off. it's so hey. good! It's so cinematic and emotional, and oh, so well boarded. Yeah, I, I, oh I, I will God. say the first time I watched it, I kind of thought the the choice of music was a bit cheesy and over the top. Alex, that was as <laughs> rewatch it, it played a little bit better but like it still feels a little like off but you know but it, it does feel epic at least and you got you know Anne hanging hanging on to uh to sasha and sasha letting go and being carried off into the forest by her hero uh, <laughs> the general <laughs> yeah. they're each other's here at this point honestly yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, like, and Anne breaks down crying, and so it feels very sad. And that's how the season ends. But, like, it's it just a, a props to, to that finale for, like, again, if you saw episode one and you're like, it's going to get to that, like, a, you'd be hard pressed to figure out, like, okay, like, how am I, how are we going to justify getting to this point? But they do it. So, good, 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 good job on making it as epic as possible for the for season also- one finale. I feel like that moment you pointed out, Alex, when Anne's holding on to her, it's it's such a good way of like not like of like showing why Anne's journey is so important. And even Sasha kind of understands because like Sasha sees like, you know, we're hanging on to Anne and then hop hop and then Polly, like the whole planter family comes to hold on to her and she gets that they care about her that much. And it kind of makes her do a little soul searching maybe for the first time in a while. And she says like, down like, look, maybe you're better off without me. Like, look at these people who care so much about you. I, I don't think I've been that good to you as a friend as these people clearly are. And I feel like that's part of where Sasha got super redeemed too, like by doing that soul searching. And I feel like that brings up a lot of other questions about Sasha. Like, does she not have a lot of friends? Is that part? Like, I do get the vibe when, when in the flashback, Anne kept saying, like, I have to go home. My parents are throwing me this birthday party. I know it sounds dumb, but I want to do it for them. She, she, she gets really bothered by that. And I wonder if it's just because she's afraid of Anne, like, you know, moving, growing more distant from her in her life because, you know, they've been friends so long, but things change and people grow up. And maybe Sasha is not really good about having really people close to her. Like, she's good at controlling people, but she's not good at, like, taking the deeper step to really be close to them in a meaningful way. And Anne does that so effortlessly. And I feel like that's part of what shook Sasha in that moment of just seeing the planters come together to save her. 
I got some deep stuff to think about. I feel like they're going to think about it a lot in season two. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I am very interested to see, like, how much of Sasha we get in season two and, like, what, where, where, oh, God, yeah. where she goes from here, right? Because, like, she's back at the Toads, but now she no longer has the goal of, like, looking for Anne because they already found her. So, like, I, I guess mm-hmm. just, like, now look for Marcy? Like, is that it? And Yes! <laughs> Where's Marcy, the third missing girl? Yeah, so like, but but yeah, like as you mentioned, like there's that final like moment of like Sasha like sort of changing her tone, but then she falls off, yeah. and we don't really know what happens from there. So like, uh, Sasha is a good thing to look forward to for season two. Um, I guess we can also here briefly talk about the other plot thing, which is the music bots. Um, <laughs> yes. The- Briefest of plot things, considering its importance. Yeah, um, ma- major thing is that uh, after spending time with the family, Anne is uh, confident enough to show it to Hop Pop, and yeah. Hop Pop um, decides to bury the music bots and not tell Anne about what he's doing with it. Um, I would say that this is just a. Uh, Hop Pop being old man scared of what would happen if they activated. Like I, I think at some point no. early in the season he's opening up a book and he's like, oh no, it's just as I feared or something. <laughs> yeah, it's just as he feared. It's not just him being a worry word, like pun intended. <laughs> he Hop Pop knows a lot of stuff. He went to that black market thing that Sprig and Anne got into and impersonated a whole different person that people recognized. He's done some stuff. Hop Pop has done a lot of stuff and he knows way more than he's letting on. Hop Pop, have you killed Anne? I, I, <laughs> I think Hop Pop's pretty old. He's probably done some stuff in this time, you know. He had to. But like... I I don't think he would bury it if he didn't want it to never be found. And I feel like that's a much stronger reaction than being like, I don't know about this weird music, you know? Like, he doesn't want to take any chances. He straight up buried that thing in his backyard. I feel like he knows he knows that it can pull the worlds together. I think maybe he's in, afraid of either the toads going into the human world or more humans coming into amphibia and trying to colonize them. Like maybe there's a weird history between humans and amphibia that he knows about cause he's old and he reads a lot of books and stuff. So I, I feel like he knows a lot, Alex. I don't think he's just scared. I think he has a lot of information he should be telling. Anne cause like, it does hurt me that he literally did like straight up lie to her and break his promise. Like that yeah, hurts. That's because the scary part. Like what's going to happen to their good. relationship for an episode when they figure oh. it out. <laughs> and it plants that seed of concern. And I love it because <laughs> otherwise hop hop, so like straight out arrow good good grandpa the but whole time like and now it's grandpa. like <laughs> I like it too but like this also makes it interesting <laughs> Hop Hop's got a dark side to him yeah yeah <laughs> I'm scared <laughs> I'm scared no it's gonna be fine I mean he obviously still loves Anne and I think like maybe in his own hop hop way he thinks he can figure out a way for her to get back without using the music box which I, mm. I don't think that's possible but I, I could see him thinking, like, there's another way. Like, this can't be the only magic solution. Because, like, yeah, when they were going to talk to that vendor at the black market, she had all these different things that kind of resembled the style of the music box. So maybe there are other magical, like, objects that could do a similar thing. But one thing I wrote down the outline that I'm curious about is, like, so there are three gemstones on the top roof of this music box. And there are three ladies who've been transported, right? There's Aunt Sasha and Marcy. So I wonder how relevant that is. And do all three of them have to be together with the music box to be transported back? Which would actually make really interesting thematic sense, right? Because for them to all be in the same place, that means there's got to be a lot of reconciliation between Anne and Sasha. And we got to just learn stuff about Marcy because we don't know anything. We have no clue who Marcy is. And like, how how are they even going to find her? Right. Um, that's that, uh, uh, that's the most uh, make sense theory that I've heard <laughs> because honestly, yeah, I don't know. Besides that, yeah, I mean, there, there's so little information on the music box, and I think for the yeah. for the better that we don't get too deep into that lore right away. Oh, sure. But 
It's fun to speculate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, what if there are actual gemstones they need to find and reunite in order for, to activate the bots? I don't know. Wait, did you think gemstones like went away, or that there's like bigger gemstones that will transmute energy to the gemstones embedded in the chest itself? We used up the energy on sending them to Amphibia, so they need to find three replacement Recharge gemstones it. to make it work again or something. Oh, yeah! No, I like that. <laughs> That'd be more like a questy adventure thing, but I think that could be really cool. Yeah, uh, I, I think yours makes uh, more sense if we want to get character drama involved, which is always good. Oh, <laughs> Drop yeah, them. but uh, yeah. So the the music bots is around. Um, it, it, that that's another season two thing to be resolved. Um, we can also like talk just a bit about other characters of notes that we haven't really talked about. Like for example, Sprig and Polly. Like we've not really talked about yeah. them that much. Um, I will say I prefer Sprig to Polly, but I think they're both nice kids. Yeah. Uh, they're both nice kids. I want to say, so we initially did a podcast covering the first two episodes of Amphibia, and I was, like, so harsh to Polly. <laughs> I said she wasn't a real personality <laughs> because all she did was be really tough, and she's a little baby, and I was like, mm. Polly's great. I was super wrong. I'm so sorry, <laughs> Amphibia. <laughs> Polly, Polly has episodes where she she saves the family, too, right? There was the episode the where she had to get money... Yeah, the bed and breakfast with the cannibalistic, like, people, which was amazing. And then the other one where, like, Anne wants to take her out on, like, a girl's day because she's, like, such a tomboy and it's amazing. But Anne's like, oh, no, you've been, like, raised by only boys. I have to fix this. And they do all this girl stuff that Polly, like, tolerates, which is very nice of her, but she's super not into it. And she ends up, like, they. I love that they use all of Hop Pop's, like, IOU coupons instead of actual money. And finally, one person's like, I wonder if he's good for this. And she looks over and there's a sign with his like face on. It's like, definitely not good for it. Um, and Polly ends up like saving the day because she does the spitting contest. She wins back the solid gold trophy and uses that money to pay for all the stuff they did that day. Which is like, yeah, like Polly's had her moments. I do think because Sprig and Anne are the main characters honestly they just have had a lot more focus than her so like Sprig's just been fleshed out and had more opportunity to be interesting maybe but like they're all good and hop hop oh my god hop hop is my ride or die he is my number one closely followed by best my <laughs> number two i love this so okay, much well, we need to, well, hop hop we praise enough Tommy, how is Bessie your number two <laughs> Because she's so cute. The second she opened her mouth and made that like little chortly sound, I was like, oh my god, this is insanely charming. I think the episode where Anne has to learn how to drive is it does a lot for Bessie and, and also for Hop Pop. You get the sense of like, yeah, you you gotta really know your snail to ride your snail. And like there there were so many tough times with Bessie that I had in the past, and she learns to appreciate her as a creature and not just as like you know an object of transportation. Um, Bessie's just really <laughs> cute. She's she does nothing wrong. Well, she's she a is car. a pure. <laughs> she's a pure soul. And and that resonates with me so strongly. I think Captain Grime is my third favorite. Okay. Well, he's tied with Sasha. I think they're both equally good. But Bessie is my number two. It's not a joke. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're your top, Alex. Um... She does, she's also a snail. She has her own snail life going like, on. I, I think Anne is my number one. Hop Hop is my number two. Okay. Uh, yeah. um, like three through five is a, is a is a mix. Like it depends it depends on what day you ask me. I will say I really enjoy Wally. Um, I think that he'll, oh, he's, yeah. he'll probably be oh. an underrated character among people who watch Amphibia because he's you know mostly treated as like a side gag character. But there's that one episode where it's Wally and Anne, that and they like, like dive into yeah. him having feelings and stuff and. Yeah, and, and then where Anna's like, I don't want them to think I'm crazy like you, and he's just so genuinely hurt by that. I and, know uh... it's a really good moment, and that's the thing. Like, there's some real emotional depth to the show. Like, it, for all we say that it's super funny, it is, and and really good animation and emotional, and the the 
the outro is so sweet, but also it like it'll get real with you and make you self reflect on stuff. And I feel like that's the mark of a good show right there. Cause yeah, you do you do feel bad for thinking Wally's like the village crazy person after that episode. You're totally right. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I I enjoy him. Um, did any other like side characters that that you um, have on the on your mind? I love Leopold Loggle's design. He's, he's the the, the woodworker, love- right? He's the woodsman, and and like the fact that he has that carved like statue of himself, <laughs> and Spring even has that line where like he walks it's out like the door a whole like, thir- like oh, thirty gonna, seconds joke. <laughs> we're gonna talk about this man like whoa like we're gonna come out and talk about this okay like he's used to great effect there honestly i just love sadie croker a lot i i love her in the driving episode when they like initially pass her for being slow and then sprig has to like get a ride from her to go back and she totally trolls him by going super slow and singing the most obnoxious song as petty revenge like yes sadie croker is the energy i want to have when i'm 85 years old <laughs> Absolutely, a- hands down, old lady. I like it. Yeah. Uh, Plus, she's like a retired spy, which I never saw coming. But that's just like it makes her character so much more like interesting. And I'm like, what other things does she know? And the fact that she she just like doesn't like Sprig and it's something personal. She's just like he just he, I find him kind of annoying. Like I I just think it's hilarious that she has all these layers to her personality. Yeah. And I'll say also, um, I think Sprig's um interactions with the the two little girls, um, Ivy and Maddie. I think that those are are those are yeah. decent um relationship episodes. I mean, obviously, um, Sprig. Uh, I'm not exactly invested in his love life, but at the same time. <laughs> At the same time, I, I think that it's cute when, when him and yeah, I, Ivy hang out, and also the the Maddie episode. It feels you know meaningful in terms of, like not judging people again. Again, that's like a big thing with this with this show. I right? think I think that's really important because I think Maddie, especially like there there is such a trope of like that creepy girl who's like into like you know magic or. Or, or like satanic stuff and like oh no she likes you and you don't want that because she's so weird but the episode really does force you to be like wow like Sprig had a lot of preconceived notions and just assumed Maddie cursed him for no reason just because he broke up with her and she's actually great and don't judge her and she helped you and maybe like be less judgmental in the future I feel like that episode was just really needed so that she didn't become too much of a stereotype you know yeah, yeah for sure and, and like same with Wally, right? Like he could be a stereotype character, yeah. but we give him an episode to be like, "Hey, look, he's got other stuff going on too." And then he goes back to being a gag character. But like, you got you got the one episode of like delving into his feelings. I mean, I'll say even like I hated the mayor so much, and I was so mad at the beginning that there was just a corrupted mayor subplot. Anyway, because I'm like, don't we have enough politically corrupt people making bad decisions in the real world but even he i feel like towards the end like he carries a lot of the frog people away on his back like when they're getting out of toad tower and i feel like in a way he is slowly starting to line more with wortwood um and the frogs than he is with the rest of the toads in toad tower and i, I hope he comes around even more later on in the show because like I want to root for him but also he like embezzled all the taxes and everyone's stuff almost all got taken away and like that's really bad and I kind of couldn't believe he got to still be mayor after that but you know politics I guess yeah yeah also I'm um, the the end of the year episode where like he finally like b- begrudgingly yeah. comes around like hey look Ann, like you're you're actually good and fine <laughs> yeah that was that was a much needed like all right like he's not all bad like he He's he's growing yeah, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I I think we've covered pretty much all the big stuff uh, of, about Amphibia summary. Uh, recommend. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, if you've listened this long, uh, you know you probably get, have gotten the basics of, of the show. <laughs> but if for some reason you haven't watched it yet, it's funny, and we've only recounted like five or seven jokes from the show. But there's a lot more that I you mean, it's, enjoy. It's, oh god. <laughs> Do you have a favorite, Joe? Um, not one that I can recall off the top of my head. I feel like just in general, Hop Pop, like wh- whatever he speaks, it's great. So <laughs> it's like the combination of his like old man Southern voice and the the sense of comedic timing. I do think like Hop Pop 
It's just, I don't know, there's something about the fact that, like, he's the adult and he does a lot of domestic stuff and he's the only parent, but he's also just very hardworking and trying his best. And sometimes you're really on his side because the kids are so rowdy. Like, when he's trying to, like, work on his boat and (laughs) they just keep almost destroying it. And then they do destroy it. Like, I love that he's the parental figure, and I feel like, again, like, there, we've talked before on this podcast about shows that have different representations of non, like, nucle- non-nuclear family structures. And I feel like this is another one. Not only is, like, Anne literally just, like, an adopted child, but, like, they don't have a mom and dad. But you, I never for a second thought about that in this show. And sometimes I really do, like, if, like, a mom or dad is absent, I'll be like, oh, no, what happened? But, like, hop, hop, like where's the pants and whatever else the whole time. And it just feels so right. And so natural given everyone's dynamics that like, that doesn't even come up. And I feel like that's really refreshing too. I was doing such a good job. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he slides, he slides into the single dad role so well that I had not considered that Sprague and Polly's mom and dad were not even in the show. Yeah. Like, I was like, I saying, just, right. Like, you don't I think, think I just about like, it. went on the assumption that Hop Pop was just a really old dad, but like, I guess you're right. <laughs> oh, he's the grandpa. Hmm. Yeah, so that, that's another season two possibility. <laughs> like, where, where are mom and dad? Or we get like a sad flashback episode of them dying. I don't know. One um, day. Yeah. So that there, there is stuff as well to look forward in season two. On top, so catch up on season one. We have no clue when season two is coming, but. Ho- hopefully no idea. this year. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, any final thoughts, Michelle, before we begin signing off here? This show, I think, it, like, if you haven't watched it and you've been on the fence, I feel like it it's really gonna grab you um, in the first chunk. I'd say, like, maybe around episode four or five, I feel like, is where it really started to pick up for me. Um, if you're willing to be really invested in just, like, these characters interacting with each other and being very, like, supportive and positive reinforcement and learning and growing, but also, like, extremely funny with a plot that's, like, there but not super prominent yet that's seated and intriguing all on its own, I feel like you're really going to like the show. And, like, honestly, it's just... It's so well crafted. It does so many things so right. And we watch a lot of stuff, but I feel like this show honestly, hands down, is very special. If you liked early Steven and like Summer Camp Island, especially, I'd say like the kind of comfiness of this show at times is very reminiscent of that. Um, so check it out for those reasons also. But like, and Baby's really good. It's really good show. I like Alex. Can you think of like a an actual like boring episode in this show? I feel like there was one or two in the rewatch, but like it's not that many. Like and not if, that many. If, if and there's happen, like what like thirty right, episodes. Right. I feel and, like there's a if lot. They happened, yeah, it was like in the first half because like the first half is you know very focused on just setting up the dynamic, and like sometimes that that flops a little if you're like focusing on one thing in particular but like over as an overall product it gets there and i think that even the bad episodes like they're still funny like just as a a random example like Anne versus wild like that's not an episode i'm crazy about but like there's still there's still fun stuff in there (laughs) so it's like i can't say it's necessarily a terrible episode but like it's got jokes so you you if you are willing to laugh uh, all 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 these episodes will work on you um yeah, strong. And I think my my final thought that I want to leave here with is um, again, like if you've listened this long, then you've probably already watched Amphibia. But I think shows like this, like uh, Keep on the Age of Wonder Beasts, like Summer Camp Island, that don't necessarily get the same yeah. kind of a publicity that bigger shows like Steven Universe, The Owl House, like shows that are hyped up for a long time before they're released as opposed to these ones which kind of just show up out of nowhere i think that these are the kinds of shows that especially require people who love the show 
to be more active in word of mouth, like telling people, like, absolutely, this is a show that if you like Big Show 1 and Big Show 2, then you'll also like this show that you've probably not heard about. And so I think that if you've uh, if you've watched Amphibia and you're self-aware of the fact that it may start slow for some people and you include that disclaimer, I think it's a good service to do to tell people like, look, this is a good show that's being slept on and you should give it a longer try because it definitely gets a lot better. And as me and Michelle can attest, it, it's, it was one of... I mean, at least, like, for me, I don't think I put it in my top 10 of 2019, but, like, that's more due to there being so many good animated shows out there. We And, and, and we were doing, like, adult mm-hmm. stuff, too, which makes that category even harder. I think it, it probably was in my top 10. I don't know if it was in my top 5, but, like, <sighs> I've watched it three times now. It's so good. Like, it's very special to mm-hmm. me, for sure. And I feel like... People need to keep in mind, like, this is a story that clearly has a lot it's planning to talk about in terms of plot, but it's not in a hurry to get there, which, again, like, Steven Universe is a show that's very huge right now, but back halfway through season one, it was about where Amphibia is right now. It didn't have, it had a very passionate small fan base, and then, like, episode 52 dropped and everything (laughs) changed, but, like, Amphibia has so much so much time to become as big as i want to see it be um but like give it a give it a real chance i i do not think you're gonna be disappointed because it feels that genuinely good the whole time like honestly give it a chance and tell your friends once you've given it a chance please yeah (laughs) Uh, and on that note, um, also, if you've listened to this podcast, tell your friends about OverlyAnimated.com, please. So, uh, we we, <laughs> we would appreciate uh, more people in- who enjoy analysis of animation. Um, if you've enjoyed this discussion, we have an Amphibia channel on our dedicated Discord at OverlyAnimated.com slash Discord, where we talk about Amphibia and a lot of other animated shows in this kind of detail. Uh, as uh, Michelle mentioned, uh, the Amphibia Out of Context account gets posted every once in a while. Oh, so, it's so uh, good. So yeah, so join us on Discord if you want to talk more about, about this show or other animated uh, stuff. Um, you can support us financially via Patreon at patreon.com slash animated. Thanks to all of our current patrons, especially our patron of the podcast, Steve, a.k.a. Frequent Commenter Steve, who I know has also watched this show. So, uh, hi, Steve. Uh, <laughs> thanks to <laughs> hi, our Steve. Patreon executive producers, Ryan, Steve, Beatrice, Hugh, Michael, and Needle. Um, as mentioned, other shows that we've covered on here recently include uh, Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts, Owl House, uh, soon we'll be talking about the final season of BoJack Horseman. BoJack, yes. So a, a, a wide variety of shows we cover here. Um, Amphibia to BoJack Horseman. I there's similar um animal jokes going on, so like there's a relationship. <laughs> That's maybe the one thing they have in <laughs> and, common. And, and deep That's emotional true. trauma. No. <laughs> Hot Puck clearly has that, but I don't know about yeah. anybody else. But uh, yeah, so if you're in, if you're interested in hearing about those shows, feel free to check out our podcast on that. And when Amphibia Season 2 comes out, um, it's possible that we'll be doing check-ins on that, depending on how reaction goes to this podcast. So yeah, well, but either way, we will be waiting for Amphibia Season 2, and I hope you guys are as well. Uh, until then, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Bye.